Hello and welcome to The Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wim Lee. Joining me is a friend of the program. It's been too long. Summertime. Uh, I don't know why I said summertime. It has nothing to do with anything. Anyway, uh, Big V, Vivek Jacob, back on the program. What's going on, man? What's going on? It has been a long time. Uh, I don't know why you said summertime. Yeah. Um, maybe it's a Will Smith song. Maybe that's why you said it. Well, we, we, know, we know how you get that with Will Smith, all right? <laughs> Maybe I got it. Maybe maybe since this is a podcast, I could insert a clip of you rapping to Will Smith. <laughs> that was a good night, man. That was a fun night. That was a good night. Yeah, we're referring to uh, we had a uh, me and Alex hosted like a thank you dinner to all the you know friends that contribute to this program. Um, obviously, you know you were involved in that, and uh, yeah, we had a, we had an event at Hongqing, and then afterwards uh, we went to karaoke in like a room that. Like, you know, sometimes you book a room and it says like, oh, capa- like capacity, 15 people. But you're like, oh, come on. Like, you could probably squeeze like <laughs> one or two because we had like a party of 17. And I'm like, yeah. I'm not going to pay the extra for 20 people, the max room. But, you know, this 15 room seems like reasonable. Plus, like maybe one or two people drop out. You never know. Like, we'll probably be there 15. Man, no, this exactly. room, I swear it was like maybe it's like smaller than most bedrooms in Toronto. Uh, we yeah. had... uh Everybody was like sitting like hip to hip in this room, including some people like me who were just like squished up standing room in this hotel, in this karaoke place. And then when we got there, it was a it was a TV where you can cast. There was like a iPad there, I guess. And you could just like search on YouTube and cast that video onto that TV. Now, look, listen, I, I think we had a great experience regardless. But my thing is, are, are, should we not have a little bit of a higher standard for karaoke rooms? I don't know. <laughs> This is just, just my just my personal thing. Like I, again, we had a oh, great time. Man. Everything was settled. You know, lots of soju, lots of you know, good times with friends. We obviously with YouTube, we can get any song. But I'm like, yo, I could have done this in my house and had a little bit more comfort. No, I'm just, I'm just saying. Yeah, it's, it's true. It's true. It's true. No, it got real hot in there. It was hot in there, man. And it you was hot, man. And you can't even open the door because, like, obviously we're like screaming and belting. Because again, people just get way too lit at karaoke. That's the whole point. But you got to keep the door closed. And uh, yeah, it was also in a basement. Ventilation was like, you know. Yeah. I'm not going to say the ironically, name of the place. But, ironically, yeah. we didn't sing Nelly Houghton here. We should have. Honestly, we, yeah. we had a we had a good group for that. Because uh, it was it was interesting because we had a real age divide too. We had like a younger corner with like JR and Lee Ban who are. Um, yeah. JR is like 24, I think. And Lee Ban is like 23. Um, so they had, and, and a couple other guys there. So the, I think Orrin probably, I'm going to lump Orrin in that group, even though he likes to pretend he's old, but he's like 27. Uh, and then we had an older group, a 30 plus group. Um, and that was me, you, Alex, Cash. Congrats to Cash, by the way. Big, uh, big, big, big congrats to Cash. to Cash. That's right. Um, and yeah, so there was definitely like some people were doing songs from the 90s. Some people were doing songs from the 2010s, but it's a good time, man. I mean, Liban was doing songs from the 70s. I mean, this man was all oh. in on Yellow Submarine. <laughs> Another clip I should consider inserting into this right now. <laughs> that was incredible. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just going to call him the Yellow Submarine from now on because Liban is, is, is a very, very niche listeners to this program won't understand. But, but Liban comes to the arena dressed in all yellow, like quite often and, and like on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, like yeah. that's his coordinated fit. Like he comes in looking like the big B, 
Shout out to Hamilton. And uh, yeah, he just uh, he just comes in dressed like a yellow submarine. So we might just have to call him that at the arena from now on. Yeah, I'm with it. Yeah. No, that's his yeah. new name. Yeah. Um, okay, this is what, so this is what we have for Raptors programming today, all right? Uh, <clears throat> we have NBA in-season tournament talk. Uh, today, actually, the, the rest of the NBA schedule will be released later this afternoon. So we're recording Thursday around noon. Um, the rest of the schedule will come out. Um, I'm, I'm not totally sure how to make schedule content, so we'll see. But I'm, we're going to do another podcast tomorrow with Alex. And so maybe we'll touch on the rest of the schedule then. But I definitely want to talk about the NBA in-season tournament with you, Vivek, because there's a lot of talk about sort of how this is uh, the NBA's answer to the FA Cup, which is uh, interesting just, just in general. Um, we also have um, some Canada basketball news to discuss. I feel like that's actually probably more top of mind. So we'll start with that. Uh, and then later on, we will talk about just anything to be excited about with the Raptors, because I feel like there's still just like a even if it's the offseason. And I feel like in the offseason, people generally reset and get back to like, a, OK, last season was whatever. But let's put that in the past and we move on. There's still like a lot of negativity around the team, which I mean, I think it's completely fine. I think it's not like I don't think anyone's got to be thrilled with what's going on with the team. But mm-hmm. I did want to think about, like, okay, if we were to look forward to one thing this, this upcoming season, what would that be for the Raptors? And then finally, because this is you and me, and because the EPL season has uh, started back on, uh, we will do a little bit of EPL talk uh, towards the end, which is uh, our tradition on this program. So let, let's start with Canada basketball, actually. So, uh, V, uh, how much of the the three exhibition games to date have you been able to catch with, with Canada basketball? And from those, what are some of your uh, biggest impressions and takeaways from the team so far? Yeah, so I caught both the Germany games, and okay. uh, the second one I didn't watch live. I watched a replay. Um, sh- shout out to the YouTube hustlers, man. Yo, um, I was going to say on this. Like, yeah, because you, you can't watch it like anywhere in Canada. Like, here's the thing. I'm subscribed to Sportsnet, TSN, uh, Fubo, uh, up until very recently, The Zone, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I have CBC Gem. I have, like, I, I think I'm missing, like, two other programs. None of these programs had the uh, exhibition games. Oh, and so impossible. we've had to, like, go watch, like, uh, online streams of Magenta Sport or something like that. This, like, yeah. broadcasting thing in Germany. Which, by the way, some of the streams were, like, in, like, at, at least 1080p, I got to say. It was pretty crisp. Right. But some of them were also just a bit made available on YouTube, which is great because once something goes live on YouTube, it gets cached there. And so you can just watch it back. So yeah, anyway, you're you're saying that you're watching uh, the second game on, on YouTube. Yeah, exactly. So I think the thing that probably stands out the most to me is you see a team like Germany that plays so together and they're so in sync and so clear on how they want to execute. And uh, I think with Canada, you see that gap, right? Mm, and so yeah. there's an extent to which the talent makes up for that. Um, and they were able to make that great second half push but i think when you see some of the sloppy turnovers when i think especially at the start of the game just the lack of physicality and the way germany was able to like dictate early on that's something that you look at and say okay um you know hopefully that's just like a learning lesson and they say okay we we got to come out a lot lot harder um and we'll get a taste uh we'll see how that looks against spain um but I think the starting lineup is solid. You'd like to have more shooting in there. Um, I think Nikhil Alexander-Walker for sure is going to be the X factor. Um, And his scoring, his shooting is going to be huge. Uh, I really like 
the energy that Trey Bellions has played with. Like mm. the guy comes in and plays so hard. Um, yep. And so I, I think that has been awesome to watch. Uh, Lou Dort, I, I think has been a tone setter uh, defensively. And I, I don't know how you feel about this, but like early on in a possession when Canada is defending, it's like when they apply the ball pressure, I'm like, okay, they, you can force a turnover here um, and really ap- apply a lot of pressure. But once Germany was like getting into their half court sets, I think that's when I felt less confident where yeah. it's like, again, they're so in sync and they just know what they're running and they execute at such a high level that I think that's where those types of teams like demand that you be really crisp defensively. You can't miss rotations um, and things like that. So I think that's where maybe Canada uh, has to continue to improve. Uh, and so I don't know. Uh, it feels a bit weird where it's like, it's almost like they feel more comfortable once they're actually able to like get into a half court set and run their stuff. Yeah. I, I came up with this. I came with, yeah, exactly. I came up with a similar impression. Um, even though Canada was able to defeat Germany in game two and ultimately win the, the DBB cup, um, which I think is only slightly below the NBA in season tournament cup. But uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, like I, I felt like Germany out executed Canada over the balance of both games. Um, the mm-hmm. execution in the half court in particular is just it's something that it's not even just unique to Germany. Cause I would say Germany is a very good team. I want to give them a lot of credit. I thought they played really well. I thought Dennis Schroeder played really well in both games. Um, second game, Canada, a large part of why Canada was able to come back and force overtime and win it in overtime by one point uh, was the fact that, uh, you know, Schroeder fouled out of that game midway through the fourth quarter, I think. And then, yeah, so he was, you know, Germany's best player. He had like 26 points. He was hitting threes, doing all sorts of great stuff and keeping Germany in the lead when he was in the game. But I think just the overall style of play for FIBA, because I've been keeping track of some of the other games in terms of the, um, like, for example, I was watching Lithuania versus uh, France. I was watching, um, you know, uh, USA versus Spain. You know, I was watching Brazil versus uh, Australia. Like, these teams... The just the overall quality of play when it comes to FIBA, like half court wise, mm-hmm. the execution is just a lot higher than what we're used to seeing in the NBA. And so I think my overall thing, and I feel like this every single time I come back and really tap into FIBA play, is just that you can't measure the quality of a team based on how many NBA players they have. Like the USA is an exception, right? One thousand they have, they have the, like even this team, which is a B team for USA, is still really damn good. Right. Like, I mean, it, you know, we don't, we don't have to go into it. That whole team is excellent. Um, but for all the other teams, it doesn't really matter that, OK, Canada has seven NBA players and Germany has like three NBA players and therefore Canada is better than Germany. Like that doesn't that's not how this thing kind of works. It, the FIBA game is totally different from the NBA game. The court is smaller. The like just just, just the space is smaller on, on the court. Um, you have to execute a lot more. It's a lot more half court. The physicality is on a different level. The officiating is at a different level, quite frankly. A lot of what you can get away with in the NBA or a lot of like, you know, uh, what you can trick officials into in the NBA, that stuff is just not called in FIBA or just the level of officiating is not good enough where it's consistently called. Um, and so it's so much more about executing in half court. And I don't know yeah. why, but it just seems like all the like even I was watching Brazil and I was like, OK, Brazil's a good team. Like, but like, the, you know, if you were going with the NBA metric of like, OK, if that's the best team, like how you measure talent, their best NBA players are like Bruno, um, Marcelo Huertas, you know, uh, 
who who else is on that team? Raul Neto, like you know, it, it doesn't sound yeah. like that's like some sort of like killer team, but they were able to out execute and beat Australia, which has actually a lot of NBA players on their side. Patty Mills, uh, they have Joe Ingles, they have uh, Jack White, they have uh, obviously Josh Giddy, um, you know D- Dante Exum, Matisse Thybulle. No, Australia is really good. Yeah, yeah, and but it's the level of execution. You need a lot mm-hmm. of shooting in this in this tournament. Uh, or to play this style of game, and you need a lot of half court execution. And yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that Canada doesn't have it, but I think that like there's a there's a big enough gap where Canada I feel like is winning a lot of these games based on talent versus execution. I agree with that a hundred percent, and I think this kind of lends to a broader point of, you know, okay, for the players themselves who are competing, they are elite athletes. Absolutely, you want to hear them saying. We're going for the gold medal. We're going for the podium, mm-hmm. this and that. But I think us as fans, as media, we have to be humble <laughs> in terms of setting these expectations, right? Yeah. Like th- these countries, whether you know, you're know you talking about France, Australia, Spain, like they've accomplished great things at the international level time and time again. And so I'll be honest, my expectation is, hey, can you just – at least be the second best America's team and qualify for the Olympics. That should be the whole. Well, that's not the whole goal, but that should be the main goal. Number that, one. Absolutely. Exactly. That, that to me is my starting point. Can you do that? Because the, the task at hand, you, you obviously expect to come out of this group. A lot is going to come down to that first game against France, because when you go to the next group stage, you're likely going up against uh, Spain and Brazil. Mm-hmm. Those are the two teams that you expect to come out of the other group, right? So um, that France result is going to have implications. And so can you come out of that second group phase and go into the knockouts as opposed to like a classification? Mm-hmm. And so and, and so you look at the difficulty of playing those teams like Germany. Those were tough games. And Very. they're based on the rankings, based on FIBA rankings, they're what the seventh or eighth best European team, right? So I mean, you're yeah. you're looking at <laughs> a difficult path ahead. And so in terms of just our own expectations, I will start to think about the podium once they're actually able to clinch an Olympic spot. Like clinching an Olympic spot will be difficult enough as it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think, and I feel like maybe we got to give Germany a little bit more credit because I feel like just watching them, they looked really cohesive. They played really well together. Um, they had bigs. They had obviously a lot of, I feel like their guard play was mostly just Dennis and, and a couple other guys who can really shoot. But Dennis was playing so well that he kind of made it not a problem. Their wing play, I thought it was good just based on having Franz Wagner alone. Yeah. Um, and it should be noted, by the way, the second game, Franz was doing really well. But then in the fourth quarter, I thought he came up really short on a lot of, um, opportunities to score to, to clinch the game for for Germany. I thought Dylan Brooks did a really good job defensively on him in the fourth quarter and overtime. Um, but like, yeah, I think we got to give Germany a little bit more credit. But ultimately, like, I, oh, I, think I don't, we- I don't mean that as like disrespectful to Germany in any sense. I'm, I'm mm. saying like the level, the quality that's there in Europe, it is high, is just it- immense, right? Yeah. And so there's so many. So, you know, I would not look at, you know, uh, these games and be like, okay, yeah, we're competitive against Germany, so absolutely we're going to be, you know, really good against France uh, or Spain, you know? Yeah. 
Spain, even even they are going to be like a level up. Yeah, and and the Spanish team, for example, like first off, the, the Spanish team just came off of winning Eurobasket. Second of all, the, I mean, again, if you're going to go with like the oh, more NBA players means more talent means better team, uh, st- which I think is the heuristic that most people kind of go into this th- thinking about. You wouldn't really rate Spain because all they have is the, the Hernan Gomez brothers. You know, they play but together, man. They, they play together. To play. If you watch that game that they played against USA, um, which the US ultimately won in the fourth quarter. Spain took the lead great game. in the first quarter, in the second quarter, in the third quarter, in the fourth quarter. And and at the end there, Team USA had to really come through and execute. And it was like a two-possession game with like three minutes left. You can't tell me that Spain couldn't have been in a position to win that game. And that's, again, you, it wouldn't make sense if you just go on thinking about like, oh, we have more NBA players, therefore, you know, this team is much better. We're talking right. about Wancho and and uh, Willie as the only NBA guys on that roster still pushing it in that way. But again, it's about the execution. It's about how much shooting you have. And again, it's about the familiarity with this style of game. So I think my whole thing with this is just I'm really excited for Team Canada. I felt, in fact, the fact that they actually came back and beat Germany in the second game makes me feel much better about it. I'm, I'm curious to see how Canada will fare, uh, fare against Spain today, by the way. Um, mm-hmm. Canada's going to play an exhibition game against Spain later this afternoon. Which, by the way, apparently if you sign up for courtside 1891, I think, um, you can just watch the game for free. So you don't right. have to go look for streams on YouTube and stuff like that. But, like... Um, I'm curious to see how they look against Spain today. But my thing, whole thing is just like, we have to get out of this thinking that like, okay, because we have more than half, I think we have like seven NBA players, which I think will put them like second behind the States in terms of this tournament. But like that alone doesn't really guarantee anything when it comes to the results. Now, in terms of the style of play, um, I think for me, the biggest thing is just, I'm trying to see how much of Shea's game is going to apply because, uh, out, you know, we saw against New Zealand, Shea dominated. I think he had like 26 points in like 20-some-odd minutes and played really well. Had five steals, a block. Looked great. But realistically, New Zealand is just a, a lower level right now where I, I'm not too worried about them in, in the competition. Um, I'm looking against Germany. Game one, Shea couldn't really get his game going at all. And that was a big reason why Canada struggled to, to get the result. And then game two, the big reason why Canada was able to come through in the end was A, RJ Barrett was like, he won 13 or 14 from the field and hit yeah. a whole bunch of clutch shots. But I thought Shea really got his game going in the second half, found spaces, got to the spots. And even in overtime, he was shaking guys, dropping guys off the dribble and playing his usual one-on-one game, but getting a little bit better sense of like where he can apply that in terms of, you know, sometimes I feel like, especially in the NBA, if Shea's able to beat a guy and then draw some contact, it's free throws automatically. Felt like that was not the case in FIBA. And so he needed to adjust in terms of what kind of shots he was going for versus like what kind of shots he was trying to shoot just to get the foul. And I thought he got a better sense of that. So I, for me, the rest of the thing that I'm looking at, both against Spain and I think, um, who is the second pl- team they're going to play? Puerto Rico or something? Um, I think it's Dominican Republic. Dominican Republic? All right, that's that's problematic of me to just assume it's another Hispanic country. Uh, but, <laughs> but like, yeah, like, I, I want to see how Shea looks more than anything else. Because to me, like, that is the separating talent that we have that these other teams don't, quite frankly, have. Is a player that talented... And I need to see that talent be evident and applied every single game, essentially, if Canada's going to have um, the results that we want to see from it. So what, what are your impressions on Shea, I guess? So I'm with you. I, I'm, I was glad to see Shea kind of figure things out in the second half. Um, and I think the big thing that you associate with Shea at, when you watch him play in the NBA is he's always playing at his own pace, right? And he's always able to, like, 
manipulate the defense whichever way he wants. And I think maybe he was going a bit too fast for his own good early on. Um, and I think he's slowly made that adjustment in understanding where where to pick his spots, where he can attack a defense, um, how the game is being officiated. Obviously, that's a big thing to understand as well. Um, and so I think those things are coming together. Uh, you know, I, I, there's the thing that Jack Armstrong always says, where it's like, hey, play quick, but don't rush. And I think when you look at some of the turnovers that Canada has had, they're playing quick, but they're also rushing. Um, and so I think as they get more reps and get more games, uh, we'll see less rushing. Um, and that's going to be, I think, make or break when it comes to their execution uh, on the offensive end, and especially with Shea. And so, you know, again, he's not someone that you associate uh, with rushing because of the way we watch him in the NBA. But I think we've seen a bit of that early on. And now I think uh, he's starting to put it together and Spain will be a big test in seeing that progression. Yeah. And again, I think this is probably an adjust, just an adjustment. Like, I, I don't think it's like, yeah. oh, Shea doesn't have the skills to do it. I think he definitely does. But it's really just about, again, like when you spend 99% of your time playing NBA basketball or even just, you know, North American basketball, let's say, and then get, you know, put in this new environment where it feels like it's the same game, but it's really not the same game. Um, and when you watch other teams, they don't play a lot of one-on-one like that. Or if they play one-on-one, it's it's against a mismatch specifically. Um, you know, you're going to have to, like, a- adjust just in general. But, I mean, I think that what's what's been encouraging to me, especially in that second game against Germany, was that other pieces were able to step up. Kelly Olenek had the game-clinching block on, uh, I think, Mo Wagner tried to drive to the mm-hmm. basket for the for the game winner, and, and Kelly stuffed him. Um, yeah. But Kelly also had 26 points in in that game and was pretty instrumental. Just knocked down a couple of huge threes in the crunch time too. Um, I thought RJ Barrett looked really good, and I think the one thing with RJ is I feel like, look, maybe three point shooting is not always going to be their form, um, but I, I like his physicality going to the basket because there's so much um, contact and so much size that's sort of constantly there in the paint in the FIBA game. Um, if you are going to go to the hole, you got to go to the hole really strong. And I do like that aspect about RJ. He he definitely forces the issue, but also and but also has enough size to get to his spots, even draw the foul. Because I think again, being stronger and getting to your spot first, and then taking the bump gives more of an opportunity for the referee to call the foul in your favor. Um, but then RJ is able to yeah get get to the scoop layup and all that kind of stuff. He, I mean, he obviously played great, so. What are your thoughts on RJ right now as like sort of the secondary option? Or, but basically, it's either him or Kelly as the secondary option, you know, behind Shea. Yeah, I mean, RJ was spectacular uh, in getting that W against Germany, the second one. And I think that you're right. I, I think there is this sort of assertiveness to him that helps the team. Um, it's not going to be perfect at times. It's not going to look, you know, really, really smooth at times. But I think there is... Uh, that aggressiveness that you need. And I think um, you need him uh, in the starting lineup with it with no Jamal Murray um, to take that pressure off of Shea. Uh, And I think it definitely helps that Kelly Olenek has like those playmaking skills, right? And he's kind of tailor-made for the FIBA style. We've seen even with Kelly, like some of that big to big action uh, with Dwight Powell uh, has been uh, pretty effective. So uh, I think Kelly is someone who kind of helps uh, unlock both of those guys uh, in terms of RJ and Shea. Um, and so with RJ, 
yeah, I think it's it's all going to come down to decision making. Um, and you know, if he skews too much uh, on you know forcing the issue, then that can be a bad thing. But hey, when he's when he's hot like he was against uh, Germany that day, then just keep it rolling. And he's the type of guy like he sees a couple shots go down, like his confidence rises up really really quickly, right? And so um, I think that is something that you need. Uh, on a team as well uh, and you know as, as, as long as Dylan Brooks <laughs> doesn't try to oh, do that man. too much of that by himself uh, I think they'll be okay yeah I, I want to say very clearly that um, I very much appreciate all the players both NBA and also just FIBA players um, making time to to play for the national team I think that they're sacrificing the summer to do this it is not something that is like of great monetary um, reward for them I'm sure there's a small monetary award for like winning or something, but like realistically, they're doing this, um, you know, taking their own time to do this because they want to represent the country. So I want to be very appreciative of all the players that show up. Yeah. Um, ha- having said that, though, having a root for Dylan Brooks is uh, is just it's just a frustrating experience because I think I could see all the things that he does really well. Like defensively, him and Lou are clearly the guys that are giving the best efforts out there. Like I was watching the yeah. game against Germany, the second game where they they came back in the fourth quarter and, and won in overtime. A lot of the reason they came back was because um, Dylan was was on Franz for a lot of those possessions, and I thought yes. he did a really good job of defending him. I thought he did a really great job of executing in terms of second efforts to close out on one guy, then recover, then close out on the next guy. And it was watching him. I was like, damn, like you know, the efforts there, the intensity's there. And then there were also a couple of moments where I was like, oh my god, he's going to shoot the ball, but he instead like he he laid it off instead knowing that yes i have a semi open shot but that's on purpose i need to get the ball to the guys who are hot right now who are kelly who is rj or or shea i'm going to step away from the ball having said that though there's just so much unnecessary stuff that dylan brooks does like there's just <laughs> and and i'm just like is it about you or is it about winning because like you know when when we're talking about like you're making all this effort to come here right like there's got to be some place where you you don't take that transition three or when you're closing on Dennis Schroeder, you do a better job of it, and you're there mm-hmm. on time. Or that if you're not, if you're closing out to him, you don't slap his hand on the follow through and give him three foul shots because right. you just want to annoy the guy. Like there's, there doesn't need to be this personal back and forth that took place over the uh, those two games between him and Dennis. And, and quite frankly, Dennis made him look silly in a lot of those possessions, right? And so I think it's just the focus has to be there because I think there's a lot of good that Dylan Brook can can bring to the team, but. I mean, rooting for you're like, okay, you're putting a lot on the table, but you're also taking a lot off the table. And there's no reason right. for you to take some of this off the table. Yeah. And for him, yeah, exactly. It's that balance between being an irritant in a good way where, mm-hmm. you know, say, for example, Franz Wagner, there was a play where he gets the ball on the break and Dylan Brooks is basically like no easy baskets, right? And he yep. goes and contests him at the rim. Yeah, yep. exactly. Right. And it was a hard foul, foul, but it's, but it's like, totally fair. You have to exactly. do that. Exactly right. That's that's the good side, and then there's uh, the bad side, which is you're talking about. And you know how do you kind of manage that? Maybe the best way to manage that is you know figuring out when it's just better to get Dort in the game. Um, and I think you're not expecting Dylan Brooks to just change overnight. I, I think we're gonna yeah. have to just deal with some of this as the tournament goes on and as the games go on. Um, but you hope that as you mentioned you know certain moments when he recognizes that hey i should be passing the ball here that those happen more often 
uh, than the other stuff. And so, um, you know, hopefully this is, you know, some part of a maturity process that, you know, looking at, you know, what happened with the LeBron situation. Okay, I got on there. Okay, you know, maybe I need to tone it down. Slowly, you know, you get to that area where you're still getting that fire, which makes him the player he is, but he knows when to pick his spots. Yeah, uh, and that's fair. And I, I totally com- I get it from that perspective, right? Because this is such a big part of like who he is as a player. And so asking him to sort of contain it and pick his spots is a little bit trickier. I think for me, it's just like, look, offensively, I don't need that much from Dylan Brooks. Um, yeah. And I think that that needs to be communicated from the coaching staff towards him as well. It's like, look, we have guys who can score. And look, listen, if we're in a tight spot and you feel like you can get to your spots and you want to be confident and aggressive in, in games where we're stuck offensively, that's fine. Honestly, at that point, I'm kind of cool with anybody trying to like get the engine going. But especially when other guys have it going, like you got to lay it off. And that's where I was really happy to see that from Dylan because he could have easily mm-hmm. forced a couple of shots. Um, well, not even forced, but just taking some shots because he was open. But he actually passed those off, and I, and I thought that uh, that was just a good sign. Because, again, like these guys got to find their roles really quickly in a short span of time. Um, yeah, in terms of the other guys, I'm actually pretty pleasantly surprised with the bench. Um, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, again, like you mentioned, I think uh, Trey has played really well off the bench. Um, I think Nikhil has kind of single-handedly uh, carried the bench um, with his playmaking, and it's just two-way ability. He, he's played so well for me that I, I'm, I'm even considering maybe putting him in the starting lineup. Um, mm. But right now, in his role, he looks really good. Um, Lou, I thought, has, has done a good job as well. Offensively, I think he's provided um, more than I would expect. But I kind of look at Lou offensively kind of like the same way I look at Dylan offensively. It's like, if you can give me some wide-open catch-and-shoot threes, perfect. If you do a little bit more than that, I'm happy to accept it. But then again, I don't need it from you, right? This is sort of more secondary. Defensively, though, Lou, I think, has been excellent. Um, Kyle Alexander, I think, has done a really good job just in general on both ends of the floor as, as a backup big. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Canada has more depth than we thought because obviously there's no Jamal Murray. That was the big news this week was that Jamal officially yeah. is pulling out for this tournament run. Um, but I, so far, I, I've actually enjoyed what I've seen from the bench. Like The bench has consistently won their minutes so far. And uh, yeah, I guess that was just a pleasant surprise from watching this uh, three-game set so far. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think this is a solid team. I think this is a capable team. And as they get these games in, obviously a couple more friendlies, uh, and then it's off to the big show. But if they can just clean up some of the turnovers, continue to look more steady uh, in the offense, um, and a bit more crisp on the defense uh, with the rotations, uh, I think they'll be in solid shape. Yeah, that is that is absolutely the hope. Because again, like they, they get thrown into the fire right away. August 25th, 9.30 a.m. You can watch it on Sportsnet. Uh, you can watch the whole tournament on Sportsnet. But, uh, yeah, like, it's going to be Canada versus France. And I'm kind of keeping an eye on France, man. I'm just – I'm keeping an eye on France. Uh, I feel like in that kind of game, I really want to – Shea has to be kind of in a takeover mode because I feel like in that specific matchup, just looking ahead two weeks – and whatever, we'll do more pods before then. Um, but my initial thoughts on that is just – yeah, RJ's going to have a harder time, especially if he's going to have to play around the rim because obviously Rudy's there. They also have more physical wing defenders. Like, you know, like Gershon Yabusele, I wasn't expecting him to play so well, but, you know, Gershon's a big part of their team. Um, yep. Nick Batum has been, you know, just consistently really good for them for, you know, decades now. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, like I, I don't expect as much of the wing scoring to be there, but I need Kelly to really stretch it out. I like seeing Canada play small ball. Um, I think off- defensively, obviously, it's not very good at all. Um, but I think offensively, they create so many issues for the opponent when they put Kelly at five. That's where they really need like Lou and Dylan on the floor to really guard up defensively um, and use their physicality to negate some of the size mismatches. But Kelly at five, I think, could really give teams issues um, just defensively. And then, yeah, Shea needs to really take over in that game. But I don't know. It's going to be really fun, man. I'm really looking forward to seeing this tournament because I think for me, it's just it's not even like I'm trying to go out of my way to to like prepare for this this tournament but i've really enjoyed watching just either highlights or just like games of the warm-ups because um i, I just like fiba ball I, I don't know i don't know about you yeah. but it's enjoyable to me like it, it really I, I like seeing the execution every single team feels like they come through with like three or four options on each play and it's so much about execution it's so much about you know playing through um mismatches is so much less one-on-one it feels a lot less stagnant there's a lot more shooting involved as well and uh yeah Yeah, for me it's just like straight up a a pure form of basketball and and so okay i really enjoy it like i think if if you're a hoop head like you just look at all the matchups that are there there like throughout the tournament there's so much to watch and there's like several good teams again you know i I was talking about like the depth that's that's there in europe but like man there are some really, really good teams to watch. Um, and again, to your point that, that you made earlier, it's not so much about having NBA players. Like you watch these teams and the way they execute, like they just play good basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's what's enjoyable to watch. And so, yeah, I, I think especially, you know, th- there's a couple of groups that are going to be really intense. Like even, you know, you, you look at Germany's group with, like Australia and Finland, like that's going to be tough uh, yep. to see which two come out of that. And so, uh, but then I think really when it gets to that second group stage and you really start to get the best of the best going at each other, that is going to make for some really intense basketball. And then obviously the stakes are higher because now, you know, you're that much closer to the knockout stage. Um, yeah, I, I think this is just going to be a really fun tournament for basketball fans to enjoy. Yeah. Well, Speaking of fun tournaments for basketball fans to enjoy. Uh, <laughs> Look at that. Look at us. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, so the in-season tournament. So we'll talk about that. Um, so, yeah, the NBA announced their in-season tournament schedule. Uh, the Raptors will be playing four group stage games uh, for the in-season tournament. Uh, so they're going to be regular season games, but these four specific games will count towards like a group play. Um, they're in a group with Boston, Brooklyn, Chicago, and Orlando. So they're going to play each of those teams one time. Uh, and yeah, the the winner of... So, okay, so to break this thing down. So the NBA is split into uh, six groups. So uh, three in the West, three in the East, comprising obviously exclusively the West teams and East teams. So um, the winner of each of the six groups, which means the team with the best record in those four specific games against those other t- teams in their group will advance to the next round and then the next best team in each conference so in the east or the west will be entered into a wild card that creates a pot of eight teams those eight teams will then play single elimination against each other to get uh to the final four and then the final four will be played in vegas in december i think on december 9th or whatever 
and then they're going to uh, you know play for the prize. I think that's all single elimination throughout. Um, but anyway, yeah. So the, the the news aspect of this is that the Raptors will be playing in a group with Boston, Brooklyn, Chicago, and Orlando. Again, they're only gonna these teams are only gonna play each other one time. Um, so who's ever record is at the best at the end there is going to be really important. I feel like tiebreaker is also going to be pretty important here. I'm not totally sure what the tiebreaker is going to be. Um, but anyway, I think bigger, bigger picture of Vivek, unless you have any specific thoughts on just, uh, you know, Toronto's group here is just, do you see this as like a tournament format that kind of makes sense for you? Especially be considering that all we've heard is that, uh, Adam Silver has really taken a lot of inspiration from watching champions league or, um, you know, different, uh, you know, national cups in, uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in Europe. Do you see that comparison here? Like, is that, is this giving you that, that, uh, that Europa, uh, Thursday night <laughs> in, uh, Azerbaijan kind of feel, <laughs> which by the way, Liverpool will have to be, uh, I'll have to be watching that for the first time in like six years. So, uh, I'll, I'll have to get used to it as well. But anyway, you, you let me know. Yeah. We're, tra- we're trading places in that regard, but, oh God. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I think I'm still in wait and see mode. Uh, I think, you know, do teams treat it like the FA Cup versus the Carabao Cup? That's what I'm kind of waiting to see. They, okay. I will say the NBA has done everything that they can in setting this up because I think they've been really smart about it. Because initially, when we didn't know what the tournament looked like and you were seeing like these preliminary reports and I remember when it was like, oh, the regular season is going to stay at 82 games and we're going to add the in-season tournament. I was like, oh, no, like that. Well, what are we adding all these games for? So by adding the context that, okay, it's just regular season games that are going to be assigned as in-season tournament games. I think that was a really smart thing to do. Um, And then obviously, if you make the quarter semis finals, those are the additional games. So um, I like the setup. I, I like that, you know, you add context to these regular season games where players, even if, you know, some of them are in load management mode, you are probably more likely to sit out just a, a regular season game that doesn't have in-season tournament implications, right? Uh, and so I think that helps. Uh, and then And then we'll see how it plays out, right? Like, if you get to like a quarterfinal game or semifinal game and the Clippers are playing and they just decide to sit, sit Kawhi, like that is not going to be a great look, right? And mm-hmm. so that's that's the type of thing that where I'm in wait and see mode. Let's see how seriously the players take it, the teams take it. Um, and then we can, we can judge the success. Because at the end of the day, even if you look at an all-star game, right? When do we enjoy it? We enjoy it when it's super competitive. Yeah, of course. And so... I think even with this in-season tournament, you if you get to the quarter semis finals and it's super competitive and super intense and you really get that playoff feel, then I think that will sell the tournament. Yeah, I think it's entirely not entirely, but I think it's so much dependent on the players. Like as you mentioned, like if the players take it seriously, if they really compete, if they if you got to feel their investment into the game and the result, and if they are devastated or if they are really uh, ecstatic after winning some of these games, then I think we can really like lock in. I mean, like there's always going to be people online that will make fun of things, but like, I mean, and, and, th- and that happens in Europe too. Like people are like, Oh man, like, wow, you're so happy to win the Carabao cup or you're so happy to win the FA cup. Like, you know, uh, uh, like 
I don't know. That stuff matters, and it's cool. Like, and it doesn't really matter that like over the course of the tournament, you're beating some of the lower end teams to get there. But when you get to the final, and it's like you know Liverpool versus Chelsea, or who did you guys play in the final last, this past year? We um, played City. Yeah, th- th- those are huge games, right? Liverpool versus like uh, Chelsea or United versus City. Like those are massive games, and people end up caring about these things, and the players end up caring about it. Like, you know, again, people can always make fun of it, like, oh, this is like lesser than, you know, um, winning the NBA championship or like, um, you know, in this case, like, you know, uh, like obviously winning the Carabao Cup is less important than winning the Premier League. But like there is still an actual competitiveness and, and joy to it as long as the players are really heavily invested. And I think to me, the, one of the good things is just they put it earlier in the season, right? So. This is something that look you can kind of spice up maybe some of those games in November that are a little bit more boring. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 add a little bit more of a competitiveness to those games. At least that's my hope. Is that typically like for example, I think the the four games the Raptors are going to play in this respect is like November seventeenth. The Raptors will play against Boston, or Tuesday, November twenty first, they're going to play in Orlando, or Friday, November twenty fourth, they're going to play versus Chicago. Tuesday, November twenty eighth, they're going to play at Brooklyn. Like, none of those games stand out to me in terms of like, oh, I'm circling that game on my calendar. I can't wait to see that game. But like, that's the whole point, right? You add a little bit more competitiveness to some of these games, and hopefully, again, like the players got to really deliver and really care about it as well. But if they're just adding at the bottom line, if they're just adding some excitement to games in November, I feel like that's that's a welcome addition because again, typically you wouldn't really care about these games, and then the whole thing being wrapped up on December 9th, allows you to sort of get excited about the first portion of the season and then you get to christmas which everyone gets really excited for anyway that's sort of what people kind of unofficially consider the start of the nba season considering like you know i don't know that's just all when a lot of people tap in uh and then yeah then you can have the regular playoffs i don't think by the time playoffs comes around people are going to be thinking about what happened in in the nba cup but uh I, i think the layout of it makes sense but to me i was just like look i wish the nba had some sort of ability to showcase um the things that i think work in like um european you know uh you know football in terms of just like some of how those leagues are set up like for example part of i made this point before but part of the appeal for me to watch uh fa cup games especially early on or carabao cup games early on or whatever national like i don't know you know cup games in, in other countries but like Mm-hmm. Part of the excitement is I get to watch some of the younger guys, guys in my academy who got to come up and, and sort of play a lesser role or even bench guys come in and come in and play with a lesser role. And, you know, A, that gives those guys more time to shine and more of ability to contribute towards the team on the floor. But I also think that for fans, you get to get excited about like, oh, we have this and this in, in, in the locker, so to speak. And I don't see that aspect integrated in, the, in, in, in this NBA version. And I wish that there was some way where it's like we have an under twenty five tournament or something, you know. That's yeah. That that is interesting. Um, I I think specifically for this in season tournament, I I would go back to the point you made before about needing like the contenders to be in the mix and yeah. like the best teams being in that final four or whatever it is. And I think that is something that could really add value where it's like where it almost becomes a preview a playoff preview right like sure say okay. say if like you know the nuggets 
go win the NBA Cup now and then, you know, they go back to back or something like that. It's like, oh, okay, like we're getting a taste of like what to expect. You know, I, I think that is something that could add value. Um, but if you see like a team that doesn't even end up making the playoffs win it, it's a nice moment for that team for sure. But you're like, okay, how seriously is this being taken then? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I, I think that part of it uh, is going to be important. And yeah, to your point about the under 25s and getting a look at younger players, um, I then you're going straight into like Carabao Cup mode, right? And so I don't know what you set up separately for that. I don't think that is a fit for the in-season tournament because I think they want that to be a big deal. Um, sure. But if, if you want something that's like predicated more on like development opportunities and like younger guys getting a taste of a playoff atmosphere, that type of thing, you might have to have something aside from that as well. Yeah, that's fair. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess I definitely don't want to see NBA players play more games um, than <laughs> 82 or even potentially 83 if you, if you make it to the final here. But like, um, yeah, I mean... There is definitely I don't know there there's just just for me maybe at least, you assign I, the Jan and Feb games as Carabao Cup games. <laughs> we could squeeze in one more tournament, you know, because I, I think part of this too is just like the NBA wants to create distinct products so that it can sell to different um, TV marketers or not even TV in this case. I'm sure they're trying to look for any sort of streaming opportunities, and so when you have more of these distinct opportunities, you can make it into more. Um, yeah, like you could just sell them as individual products, which I feel like before you have to sell the whole regular season. It's it's an all individual product. Now you have another thing that you can sell. Um, I think it's good probably for the NBA for business as well. But again, like I, I'm just curious to see like, again, like a how seriously people players take this, because again, if the players don't get on board, if they don't really show a lot of investment and they don't care, they don't celebrate this, then like. I don't know. Fans will take their cue, you know what I mean? And so, like, I guess the, the league can try to push it as much as they want. And obviously there will be a push from the league. Um, but it's not going to work unless the players also really care. And, um, yeah, I don't know. V, are you, you going to be excited, man? Are, are we going to be having to explain what the, what the in-season tournament is going to be time and time again on the broadcast and on podcasts and things like that? Like, is that, cause I don't know if people understood like essentially what's going on here or why we're doing this, but I think people are probably always a little bit reticent to accept things that are new, but I do hope that this ultimately works for the league even though I, I, I would like to see different versions of this. Yeah, no, I, I think initially we'll have to like walk people through it and, you know, just through the group stage and like those those games. Um, but, you know, I think once you get to the knockout stage, then it's self-explanatory. But mm. uh, yeah, I think as long as the players treat it, treat this tournament with respect with, with you know, a certain level of like competitive integrity... I think it can be a success. Yeah. Um, and look, listen, it's not like the players necessarily chose to do this. Uh, I think this was more of an Adam Silver kind of led um, yeah. idea. But at the same time, like, I mean, that's it's a working relationship. And I think if this works long term, it makes the league more money, makes the players more money. Um, also, I mean, the fact that they get 500K at the end there, I kind of want to see, you know, like when you watch like Final Tapers, um, like the World Series of Poker or whatever, like you just have like, sometimes you'll have like a stack of cash. Like, literally a mound of cash with, like, a, a Rolex watch or something on the top of it. 
um and they're just like they'll pan over to that once in a while like i kind of want to see that in this case maybe it's like similar to uh well i guess maybe being somewhere that squid game is is really really dark in this context but like maybe we have like a, a pot of cash just like hanging like where the jumbotron is and when they win just ready uh, to drop onto center court <laughs> bro i i, I that you tell me that wouldn't be great entertainment i feel like the, that's kind of sick 500k for each player i think it's kind of cool like i, I don't think um, it makes the audience care more but hopefully that does make the players celebrate and, and want to care more you know and i want to see it presented in cash i want adam silver to come out with the silver tray and, and hand over the cash you know what will really really sell the tournament if yep Patrick Beverly like wins that final regular season game to make the knockout mm. stage. Oh man. And he's jumping on the scorer's table. Yeah. And, and celebrating like crazy. Like I think and then you drop the cash on him. Oh. Specifically. Yes. And yeah. and you just want well, you, you you just watch him swim in that. I, I think that would sell the tournament. I absolutely. A- absolutely. And again, <laughs> like this is all Listen, NBA, if you want to make this thing work, like let's just incorporate some of these ideas. First off, like Patrick Beverly is like the perfect person to like enjoy this tournament. So Yeah. Uh where is Pat Bev now? Oh, Philly. He's in Philly, right? That wow, what an annoying team that Philadelphia team is. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Why did he go there of all places? I don't like a single oh, guy from that team except for except for Tyrese Maxey, man. <laughs> Yo, oh. that's crazy, man. Yo, by the way, imagine being a Philly fan this specific offseason. You have the Harden situation, which is his own thing. You have the Daryl Moore situation in relation to Harden. You have Joel Embiid, like, you know, trolling sometimes, but also, like, taking Philadelphia out of his bio. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just, it doesn't seem like Joel is entirely all that happy. Um, yeah. You, you have, like, P.J. Tucker being like, I stand with James Harden no matter what, which, like, honestly, I respect that, to be fair. Um you know, like if Alex got into trouble at work, I'd probably stand with Alex too. You know what I mean? So like, it, you know, there's that aspect of it. There's Tobias Harris being like, "Yo, these fans will tra- you know trade me for a box of crumble cookies." Turns out he owns some crumble cookies location, so that's like the best marketing scheme ever. Uh, their free agent signings are like Patrick Beverly, which um, you know is just going to make that team so much more frustrating to watch. And yeah, despite all of this, they have made actual no progress towards being a better team. They hire Nick Nurse. He gets grilled. He gets filleted at the press conference. Like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I know Raptor fans are definitely more negative. And listen, I, I think the Sixers, even with all this turmoil, are still a better team than the Raptors. I think that's pretty clear. But um, I'm just saying, like, it, it, yeah, it's it's got to be a tough summer for Philly fans. It's not a hot take. It's just I, I, I'm almost sympathizing for them right now. Almost. almost. Yeah. And I mean... I'm not going to gloss over uh, the James Harden, Alex Wong comparison. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we just talked about them both loving being in China, right? Like, <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, man. Maybe Alex got to come into... No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. He's, he's going he's no. gonna, gonna to wear a beard. That's what I was joking about. No, nah, James Harden is going to be on Alex Wong's... Uh, hot dog routine <laughs> he's gonna be the that's, mini that's room eating glizzies <laughs> that's how he's gonna show up to training camp yo i that's the thing if if hard because it seems like Harden and and and, and daryl are going to be going like head to head on this and and this is what i you know on the previous episode that recorded the, the second banter part with alex um why there's a need for two of these i don't understand but like we cut out this whole Harden discussion and the the crux of what i said in that in that discussion was basically just like 
this is devastating for for Daryl. Like he's been so loyal to James, and he's like literally physically clung on to James um, throughout his whole career. And that was his whole thing coming to Philadelphia. We're going to bring James over here, and I feel like him tarnishing this relationship to this degree just really, really like it's got to hurt on a personal level because he seems to be inc- incredibly invested in James. Um, in, in, I mean, remember when he went, know, all, like he met him off the plane and gave him that big hug. That's what I mean. Like was, he physically has clung on to James yeah. in his career. <laughs> He's got a mural James in his house. Like it's, it's got to be devastating on a personal level for him to, for, for, for this relationship to, to fall to the wayside. Like he that. literally tried to make the case that Harden was better than Jordan. Yes. Like earnestly. Remember that? Hun- yeah. Which, um, I, I don't again. I don't know why he's done that, but uh, it, it's. But again, it's just a sign of just how dedicated he is to the situation, and um, uh, you know, it, it's it's got to be tough. I also think about your reputation as a GM too. Like I, I think after Masai did the Kawhi trade, like even though that's like undeniably the best move of his entire career, and when he's retired from this game and all that kind of stuff, people are going to remember Masai for that move. I just remember him having to apologize for it for like the next year, even year plus, having to apologize for that move in terms of how he handled it. Not necessarily for making it, because clearly there's no reason to apologize for winning a mm-hmm. championship. But like the relationships aspect, the, the reputation of this thing is so big. And yeah. I feel like Masai was almost going out of his way to sort of like, you know, um, apologize for it and really like try to mend fences. And now him and Damar are okay. To whatever extent, it's not going to be the same as it was before, but at least they're okay. I mean, they're both like, we know, obviously, Messiah and Damar quite well as Raptor fans. We know who they are as people. Like, they're able to get over it, which is great. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's huge. But you need to make that effort because otherwise, like, if you got a reputation in this league as just being, you know, whatever Maury is right now, the one like, you screwed over Chris Paul, you screwed over Russell Westbrook, you screwed over James Harden. I'm sure he's not... I'm sure Dwight Howard's not entirely happy with like there are more, and these are the superstars that have been you know under Maury's care and watch. Like, I'm not saying teams are never going to sign with Philadelphia again, but like a they weren't a huge free agency destination in the first place. But b like this stuff clings to you as an executive beyond the fact that yes you're able to make lopsided trades or yes you're able to find financial loopholes or yes you're able to draft this guy here and that looks good whatever like. It's got to suck for him reputationally and also personally for Daryl to have to deal with this. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, well, one hundred percent, man. Like, and it's his own creation. This is actually a problem that he made. <laughs> he, yeah, like he was the one that, like, in terms of you know Harden having some level of appreciation for Maury. Like, Maury is the one that like got him over, builds this entire offense around him. Like, I mean, obviously that's D'Antoni, but in terms of allowing for that to happen and saying, hey, I am willing to have a team that is completely predicated around what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, you have to have the executives do that first. Yeah, um, that's fair. And so I, I think that part of it, uh, it, to see where the relationship was to where it is now. And honestly, if you're another executive looking at this situation, it's like, man, if Harden is willing to turn his back on someone who he had that level of relationship with, what chance do I have? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> it's a losing for everybody, man. I also yeah. just don't see how this helps James like get out of his situation, you know, or get paid. Um, 
I'm not, I'm not really sure, but I, I have, I have really enjoyed this. I think for as, as far as content wise, I think James has picked a good time to do this. Um, mm. I'm also loving every single bit of content of James Harden's China tour, annual China tour. Um, you know, recently he's like, yo, I, I would love to play a season in China. I feel like the fans love me here and I, I, they really deserve it. And I'm like, yeah, I can't really know if you're just saying this because you're earnest or if this is another like subtle shot at the Houston Rock or not the, at the Philadelphia 76ers, you know, like. No, this man knows his audience. He's like, you know what? Yo. I, I, I remember I remember the tweet, Daryl. I'm, I'm going to call you a, a liar right here in front of everyone that hates you. Yo, that's, yo, this guy was gonna. James Harden was gonna start World War Three over some <laughs> stupid contract dispute, man. James, you gotta understand the geopolitics behind what you're doing. <laughs> this game is bigger than you, man. Anyway, oh uh, man, yeah. So that situation is. I, I love that situation. I, I think it's just great. Um, more chaos of Philadelphia, I think, is good. Um, but uh, oh, yeah, man. I mean. In terms of chaos, though, um, so I, I think there's still like, I don't know, I, I I just would love to hear like one report about the Raptors, whether that's like someone has told me something or that I'm seeing other reporters write about or I'm seeing like national reporters write about the echoes or paint something like promising, like, ooh, there's something exciting that's happening with the Raptors. Um, I think this past week, so a uh, friend of the program, David Thorpe, uh, has been on the True Who podcast and you kind of discussed um, his impression of sort of just like being really surprised uh, at seeing or being almost disappointed at seeing like Scotty being really quiet. He's He's been down there in the, the Rico Hines runs in LA and the Raptors have been as well, but he's just like, you know, Scotty used to be like the loudest guy in the, the, the gym and now he's really quiet. And like, it, it's kind of like a sad reflection of sort of how the NBA can really um, take away people's character or sort of just like, uh, I don't know. I mean, whether it's a personal change, whether it's a whatever change, it's just kind of sad. Well, when you go from like a guy who's like super, super boisterous to a guy who's much more quiet and reserved and shut down for what, what, what whether that's him, whether that's the NBA, whether that's this whatever situation. Um, mm-hmm. He was just noting that. He also sort of noted that, you know, um, a couple of things in terms of the organization. But again, like they weren't necessarily positive and I'm not expecting them to be positive. Like the organization is not in a good place. But uh, if there were things to be excited about, I, I think I would love to hear about it because... Look, I'm not saying that, like, I need everyone to be calm and, and happy. Like, this is, you know, no offense. This is not uh, locked on with, with, with your boy, Sean Woodley. Uh, but, like, <laughs> what I mean is, like, I, I think as fans, we're going to be tuning in regardless, right? We're, if, if they suck, we're going to tune in. If they're good, they're gonna we're going to tune in probably more. Uh, but we're going to be watching them regardless. So I, I would love to hear if there's something that you're personally excited about with the Raptors next uh, coming season. Because, again, I just feel like, I don't know. We haven't heard like positive reports out of the team for a while, you know? Right. Uh, yeah, I think number one on my list is just seeing Scotty with the keys. And, okay, you know, I am excited to know what he can be. And I think absolutely there are going to be growing pains uh, in, you know, giving him the level of responsibility that he's going to have this season. But I think on some level, we want to know that, right? Like, we want to know what he can handle what he can't handle and this is going to be like a huge season in terms of understanding what his ceiling looks like Mm. Uh, and and i think that part excites me um i am excited for a new coach i'm excited to see uh you know he promised uh that he wants to defend corner threes and so i'm excited to see (laughs) less corner threes (laughs) 
yeah. All right. Um, and you know, what does the offense look like? He, he's, uh, advertised, uh, a lot of ball movement, uh, and a lot of player movement. And I think that would be, uh, a lot more fun to watch than what we've seen, uh, the last couple of years. And so I think that excites me. Um, well, I think the vibes part of it, I think is more of a question mark, right? I think that is for me more of a wait and see. Um, and so every, there's a lot of positivity, uh, being put out there by Darko, um, and this feeling that with Nick Nurse gone, things are going to change. What happens if the team starts out like five and 10, you know, mm-hmm. then, then how quickly do things shift? Uh, and so that for me is more of a wait and see. I'm also excited for Christian Coloco. Uh, okay. I think, I, I think he's someone that, uh, impressed me last year. I think that he, uh, works super hard um and i think that he is going to come back a much better player i think he's going to have learned a lot about like the foul trouble that he got himself in some of that was not his fault some some of that was him just getting rookied um but i think he's an enticing prospect um with obviously he was really raw coming into the league but i think he's going to show some strides this season uh and i just like him a lot as a kid um i think he's about all the right things and so I am excited to see what his development looks like. Yeah, I, I, to that point, I mean, I, I'm, I'm excited to see like 48 minutes of solid center play. And mm. I'm not expecting like either Jakob or Christian to put up huge numbers. But I think just having seen like three seasons of Raptors basketball, basically since Serge and Mark left the team in 2020. Um, yep. Just seeing this team out there consistently not having size, consistently looking small, consistently doing things to compromise like OG at center or Pascal at center. One of my more frustrating games of last season was end of December where, um, you know, it was like the Raptors were trying to play against Memphis and, you know, Dylan Brooks is having a really good game shutting down Pascal and it, but it was still a close game down the stretch and the Raptors trying to make this comeback. And I'm like, yo, we can't make this comeback. If Steven Adams is literally trying to like getting boxed out by OG yeah. or Pascal, like Steven Adams was literally swimming through these guys. It wasn't even like yeah. a, there wasn't a block at all. They was just like literally picking these guys up and moving them and tossing them around. And I'm just like, yo, how long are we going to go without a center? Right. And of course, I would say it can maybe come through a little bit too late um, in terms of what would have been ideal for the Raptors timeline. Clearly, obviously, on, on other teams timelines you need two to, to make a trade. And so maybe the Spurs were only willing to trade Jakob later on this season rather than that maybe the Spurs just want to wait to the the, the the trade deadline versus like the Raptors probably want to get in them, you know, in the offseason or even earlier than that. Um, but regardless, between Jakob and Christian, having actual solid NBA center minutes, I think is going to be huge for this team. Defensively, it's going to make them, hopefully for me, much more solid. Like, um, you know, it's hard to extrapolate exactly how Memphis played with Darko as an assistant and, and try to say that that's how Toronto is going to play with Darko as the head coach. But, you know, if he is going to be truly like taking away the paint first, taking away corner threes, allowing some contested threes at the top, that sounds like what Memphis has been playing over the years. That sounds like what the Bucks have been playing under Mike Budenholzer before he got let go this offseason. Um, like that's, you know, take away the paint, protect the paint, take away the corner three, and whether that's drop coverage or whatever. But again, like it's going to be so different from what the Raptors have been playing recently, which is a lot more switching, a lot more doubling, a lot more aggressively helping. And mostly doing that because they needed to cover up for the fact that they were so undersized uh, in, in the center position. So that's 
to me, I mean, I, I think that is going to be interesting for me. Like, how much stability is that going to bring the team, especially on the defensive end, when you're able to put in 48 straight minutes of solid center play? Um, I agree with you on the Scotty front. I mean, I, I really want to see... I, I think, look, regardless of if we think it's going to be great or if it's going to not work or whatever, we need to see at least opportunities if it is going to be something, right? Because I think maybe one of the more disappointing things from last year to me is just I don't feel like I'm any closer to knowing what Scotty's long-term future exactly. is going to be. Is he a star in this league? What position is he going to play? What role is he going to play? Can he be a lead guy? Is he a support guy? You know, like we don't have any sort of closer feel on that i think all we had this past season was just a lot of arguments about this and and that's fair like i think obviously scotty's much more topical and people are much more invested in scotty as compared to like christian or precious or pretty much anybody on the roster he's like the guy that everyone's most invested in um so obviously there's gonna be a bigger spotlight and and either that's scrutiny or praise all that's gonna be more magnified with a guy like scotty who we essentially made into the franchise but we don't know what this franchise is. Like, we don't even know if he is a franchise player because I don't think that, you know, either the opportunity hasn't been there for him or he hasn't, you know, taken the opportunity for himself yet. So this year, it's sort of just like he's just getting tossed into the water. Like, you're just kind of throwing him into the water and it's either sink or swim. And I, it, it kind of sucks that, um, you know, it's come so soon in the sense that, like, I feel like, you know, your ideal development path would be like what Kawhi had with the Spurs, which was like a really stable group. And you have this young, promising prospect, give him a role, he contributes and, and gets bit better and better. And then his role gets better and better. And eventually he's a star player. Like, I think that's the ideal development path. But like, realistically, this is, you know, a situation where the team wanted to retain Fred, but Houston came in with a huge offer. Raptors were never going to entertain or match something, anything close to that. So he goes, and now all of a sudden it's like, well, I guess we just throw Scotty into the into the water here, and I'm I'm excited to at least know a lot more because I feel like I'm confident at the end of this next upcoming season, I'll have a much better idea of who he is, and how the Raptors should move forward with him as part of this whole thing, you know. And right now, because I don't know, I don't know. Like after the season two, do you have a better idea of what Scotty is, who he can be in this league? Because I I'm not totally sure. Yeah, you know, exactly. That that's exactly why I want to know, you know, what he can handle, what he can't handle. What are we know to an extent, you know, his strengths, his weaknesses, but like mm-hmm. how much does him being in more of a ball handling role accentuate that? How much does it take away from that, you know? Like one of the little things that you look at is, you know, being on the ball as much, you know, how much does that take away from him as a cutter, as an offensive rebounder, those, those types of things, right? Um, and so I think on the whole, I'm excited to, you know, reach more of a definitive place with this team because what we've seen over the last year is just a lot of uncertainty. And so if you were to, you know, make it more of a big picture perspective, this season should tell us a lot uh in terms of what this team can be, what certain players can be, and where you go from that, right? Like even even for OG Ananobi, this is a mm-hmm. big season, right? Like yeah. some of the stuff that, that's been made about, hey, you know, Fred VanVleet takes up a lot of the ball, this and that, not getting as many touches, this and that. Like, okay, Fred's gone now. You can get your touches. Um, and let's see what that looks like. So there's going to be a lot of truths that uh, come out of this season. And, you know, some of them are going to be hard truths. 
but uh you know that's that's a, that's also an area where in the past Masai has made the most of it right like mm-hmm. whether it was the hard truth about what DeMar can be in the playoffs or you know Lou Williams as a, a sixth man like yeah it gets you a six man award but what does it how much does that help you as a team and so making decisions like that uh and moving on um I think we're going to lo- learn a lot this season yeah and, and we need to know because again like I think that like I, I would love for the front office to pick a direction for the team but realistically every team is dictated based on what the players like the players choose a direction more than the, than the team does you know like and, mm-hmm. and, and um, obviously the team should adjust the management should adjust based on sort of what the players are doing but if the players come through next year and Scotty takes a leap and OG looks really good and Pascal remains you know a, an all-star le- uh, level player which I don't really see a reason why he wouldn't like all of a sudden you're looking at a thing that that might actually work and you might continue to build around it conversely if you go into the next season you give the Scotty this huge opportunity and he just really struggles with it and, and he just he, he can't really take that step at least right now and that OG still is still kind of stagnating at what is really a, objectively a very good player, but not somebody that you feel like can be a number two option even offensively, or even a number three option offensively. And then Pascal is, is you know still at the level, but you have to decide okay, if the rest of this roster is not really there on his level, then probably move on from him. Then all of a sudden you can pivot your franchise towards more of a rebuild. Which again, like people can say that that should have already happened. Um, I probably would have. Looked in that direction this past off season, or not past off season, um, this past trade deadline, but yeah. at the same time they didn't choose to do that, right? So at least now you got a better sense of sort of what it is. Because again, I think for me, I just want more clarity. I think in the off season you can kind of really, you know, buy into anything you want, and I think typically in the off seasons, at least from my experience with the Raptors, it's just like people are buying into like more positive things. I feel like this year there's a much more pessimistic stance of like people are actively not going to buy into these things, um, mm-hmm. but. Ultimately, that's all you have in the offseason. Like, you can speculate on, like, a Rico Hines run here, or you can watch this guy play at a program. That doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? You can watch a clip of a guy hitting 10 corner threes in practice. That doesn't mean anything. Like, until yeah. we actually see the product on the floor, until we actually get a sense of it, you know, you can't really make a firm decision. Um, yeah, I think in terms of excitement for me, I, I think, um, yeah, I, I think just getting Darko in and sort of getting the Raptors culture back into to place. Um a lot of that is going to be on him. I mean, the leadership, I think, was just lacking with the Raptors this past season. I think I want to see more out of Bobby Masai, quite frankly, as well. Like, even with something like Masai, like, you know, you keep hearing the reports, and I think David Thorpe kind of mentioned it as well. It's just like you hear about Masai not being there. Like, he needs to be there as much as possible. He needs to be there on the road trips. He needs to be there, you know, and, and, and like, look, there's obviously going to be times in the season where it's like, oh, it's scouting season, right? It's... uh you know, you're taking a couple of trips in December to, to go see some French prospect, maybe like Victor, for example, you know, go overseas. And Masai did do that this, this past season. I'm not saying he didn't do that. He did do that. Um, you know, there are going to be trips where you got to go to see the NCAA tournament or some like Big Ten tournament or whatever. Like, you know, you, there's obviously a scouting aspect to this. And there's also another aspect where like he's the governor. There's other meetings to attend, all that kind of stuff. But like, or he's the chairman, sorry. Uh, but just being around as much as possible, you know, the leadership structure has to be there not just to stay on top of the guys, but to, to sort of ensure a culture where there isn't as much uncertainty and everyone can kind of more or less work towards the same goal and be on the same page. It should be a happier group. The coaching staff change is definitely needed. And um, even beyond the tactics of what Darko brings, I really want to see his group be a lot more cohesive than Nick's group, especially was that was last year. 
you know? And so, yeah, if, if we can get that out of Darko and at least just make it a better place for people to come into work. Um, Cause I, to quite frankly, like speaking both as a fan of the team and also someone who covers the team and, you know, gets to hear a little bit uh, more reports on sort of like what's going on and some of that. Like personally speaking, I just, I'm, I don't want to know. I don't really care so much about the, uh, I guess I don't want to care so much about like what all these adults are unhappy about or what they're little infighting and all this petty stuff. Like I don't care. Like that's not the goal here. The goal is not to like, I don't know. I guess the, the goal is just the main thing is to win games and be as competitive as possible and to see players improve and so that they can get paid and also for the team to win and so that the fans are happy. That's that's the goal, right? And and all this like understand like this little petty infighting or this and that, it's just like took away so much joy out of the season for me. Cause I mean, quite frankly, I don't care. You know what I mean? Like I that that shouldn't be yeah. what I need to care about. As a fan, I just care about can you win and can you deliver results or can you at least play hard as possible and I can accept that you competed but you could work good enough. I mean any fan can accept that. But all this other stuff that people have sort of been made to care about, I don't know. That doesn't really add to the enjoyment of the game whatsoever. Yeah, I think it's it's gotta be all hands on deck in having that focus. And like mm-hmm. you said, from Maasai down that that dedication has to be there and like just get back to the basics like forget about that big picture that you envisioned one day of like turning the raptors into like real madrid or liverpool or whatever it is right like oh man you are a long long way from that right now yeah okay so just focus on making this a winning team again you've used up pretty much all of your goodwill from winning the championship and you are being seriously assessed now and so uh I think, yeah, just get back to the basics, have the culture, right culture in place, see who fits in, see who doesn't, and make decisions accordingly, make hard decisions. Um, and again, be be decisive. I think that's that's one of the big things that we saw with Masai uh, and Bobby, you know, when everything was going great. Uh, and we always kind of knew what the direction was. And this uncertainty that we've seen um, over the last while, that's where I think all of the angst and frustration stems from. And so let's just get the show back on the road. Let's, uh, you know, have this team at least identifiable in terms of the way they play, in terms of um, the way the culture looks. Yeah. And I, I feel like, man, like we've had so much more success with rosters with much less talent than this current one. And I feel mm. like that objectively, like I, 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 sometimes I go back and look at some of those teams and maybe the Eastern conference is just in a different place. I wouldn't say the East is particularly strong right now, by the way. Um, but like, I think back to like years where the Raptors would win like 50 plus games with like, like you look at some of those teams that were winning 50 plus games, man. Like, it it's not like they were so stacked with talent. Like you can you can line them up the pieces side fit. by side. I guess the pieces fit, but also the cohesiveness was really strong, right? So again, like exactly. how do you even get that back to that? That's part of I guess what you're saying is the pieces fit. So I don't know. I guess I just don't want to have to care so much about like, oh, does this guy not like this guy or this the impetti like or the coach is fighting or like this? I'm like, bro, who cares? Like y'all are adults. You guys get really well compensated to do what you do. Let's make the main thing the main thing. And like, you know. That that yeah, I mean, it just has to be a, a a happier place to come back to work at. 
you know, and, I, and I'm hoping that the coaching staff, who are like your day-to-day managers, who are there with you every single step of the way, they're probably the ones that are most in charge of that, on top of the fact that the management team has to be, like, there constantly and, and also on top of this. That's that's my impression of the whole thing. Yeah, and I mean, to kind of come full circle on this and put a bow on it, like, those Raptors teams that were consistently winning 50-plus games and maybe at times they weren't as talented as who they were going up against, they were like a FIBA team. They knew who they were. Mm. They knew what they were running, and they never backed away from it, right? And right now, you don't really know what this team is. You know what individuals can do and that they can be great on any given night, but will that necessarily translate to a win? Like, think about those stretches last season when Pascal was going all the way off. Mm Mm-hmm. But they still couldn't win a game. Yep. You know? Um, and I think, you know, we've seen big games from Scotty. We've seen big games from OG. Does it, uh, in the end, get you to a win? And that's where, you know, you have to get uh, the team to coalesce in a way that brings that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, maybe even thinking back on some of those old teams, like, maybe it was just Kyle. Maybe Kyle was just that good. And and that's probably why, <laughs> like, everyone stand Kyle. I think we knew it. We understood it at the time. Um, and I definitely appreciate it even more in hindsight. But, like, again, like, I'm looking at the 56-win team in 2016 that went to the conference finals and even won two games against LeBron, uh, even though LeBron probably won that series, like, plus 100 in, in the six games. But uh, <laughs> regardless, going to Eastern Conference Finals, winning two games in the conference finals is undeniably a win. This is one of my favorite seasons ever. Like, the roster, it's Kyle, DeMar, and then, which is obviously great. Like, Kyle and DeMar are great. Like, I would say Pascal's on the same level, if not a little bit higher than DeMar right now. I don't think, obviously, anyone on the roster is as good as Kyle um, in this season in particular, where he won, I think, All-NBA, and deservedly so. But, like, Damari Carroll at three. Like, you can't tell me OG's not way better than Damari Carroll, especially in that season. You know, yeah. you like, JV versus Jakob. Jakob's better than JV. Like, especially defensively. Much better than JV, right? Fifth in the minutes played that year was Corey Joseph. You know, who's fifth in the minutes played for the Raptors this coming season? Like, either Dennis Schroeder or Gary Trent. Both of those guys are better than Corey. Patrick Patterson is six off the be- in minutes off the bench. You know, like, I would say he's a more cohesive player in terms of towards winning, especially that season as compared to, like, Precious now. But Precious absolutely has way more talent than Patrick Patterson. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Terrence Ross, Bismarck Biama, Louis Scola, James Johnson. Like, that was the rotation. Norm Powell eventually, yeah. like, obviously in the playoffs, he had his moments. But, like he wasn't really involved so much in, in, the, in the day-to-day, in the regular season. It's like, when you look at the Raptors' current roster, it's not so far away from this to the point where they should be 15 wins worse than this team. But, yeah, no. I, I don't know. I, I, that's where, again, people kind of fill in the gaps with the cohesiveness part. So, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I appreciate you bringing some excitement to the to the, to the, to the segment, uh, Big V, because, uh, you know, otherwise the mood is still kind of sour, uh, especially as I scan you know, places like Reddit or Twitter or Real Gym or things like that. Um, last thing before we go, I want to talk EPL with you. Um, so mm. we have get to it. we have as one Alex week. Takes his headphones off. Yeah, yeah, again, just taking one earbud out as he's biking towards in vintage. We stop or in vintage we shop. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. So we have one week. Week one is over in the EPL. Um, you guys mm-hmm. have. Uh, you know, a win against uh, Wolves. I thought Wolves played really well. I was kind of a little surprised with uh, how well Wolves were playing, but uh, you guys were yeah. able to, to take the win. Uh, Controversially. 
Oh, that was controversial. Yeah, because uh, oh, oh. Onana. What's Why did Onana just like smack the guys in the head? And how is that not a penalty? <laughs> I, I'm not really sure. But regardless, put that aside. Um, like we have one week, but ultimately, you know, until I guess the, the the transfer window is closed, like we don't fully know like what sort of the rosters are going to look like. Um, but yeah, I wanted to hear in terms of just like you know what your EPL predictions are this season. Let's let's start with sort of like you know um, the four yard team. What are you excited about with uh, with United? Excited about with uh, United? I do think Onana is going to be awesome. I think he's going to have some questionable moments because I Bro, think he, he has moments of madness. Has that. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. I think he has that high risk level to him. So some of that is going to happen, but I think his ball distribution is going to be awesome. Um, I think his shot stopping is really good. So uh, I'm excited for him. Um, I'm excited to see if Rashford can build on last season. Obviously, he was incredible. And so uh, I want to see him do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'm curious to see uh, Hoyland, right? Like what he looks like uh, up front. And if Marshall can be healthy, that would be nice. But Bro, yeah, you've been saying I, this for I like think, four years, man. Yeah. I mean, yeah. at this point, I'm not expecting more than like 15 games out of him. Uh, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if... If Hoyland can play the majority of the games, um, obviously out with a bit of a minor back issue right now. But I'm curious. I think he's a, he's a good player. Um, and we'll see if he's eventually worth the price tag. But I'm excited. What's for his him. game supposed to be like? Like, what's his game? Like, as a striker, is he more? So he's someone who can lick up play. He can be involved in holding the ball up. And then, you know, it, I think that's why Ten Hag likes him, right? Like, he has a super sure. high work rate. He'll be really good with pressing. Um, and that's why he's been brought in. Um, his goal rate is not great, but, uh, I think his goal involvement, uh, are what Ten Hag, uh, has brought him in for. So is is this supposed to be like a Firmino kind of type? Cause it kind of sounds like, you know, the, the work rate, the press linking up the play, not necessarily scoring all the time. Yeah, he could, he could potentially, yeah, I think that's more of like the prototype that you're looking at, uh, with Hoyland. So. So yeah, twenty years old. So obviously a long way to go. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm excited to watch him play. And then, and then yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm I'm not too high on Mason Mount. Like when the signing happened, I was like, okay, this is like a good, uh, you know, piece for the depth. But yeah, yeah. I, I think there's there's too much that's being put on him already. Like I I didn't like that he was given the number seven, and I I think there's just oh, a little man. too much hype. Like. I think he's just like a good squad piece. Yeah, I mean, it happens with English players. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I actually, I don't mind Mason Mount. I, I think, especially for you guys, like I, even having some younger legs in the in the midfield, I think is going to help. Um, and yeah, he, he's 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 totally fine. Like I, again, like I don't think he's going to come in and be the huge playmaker. Like he's not going to be you know another Bruno or anything like that. But I don't think you guys right. need him because I think Bruno obviously is is going to carry a lot of your offense, especially from the midfield. Um, what's your read on Liverpool? I would love to hear your objective read on on my squad. <laughs> I mean, attacking wise, you guys are dynamite. Like, yeah, I agree. Watching, I agree. Watch, watching that Chelsea game, I was like, man, this especially is a first half. To Liverpool should have had one on one goal in the first half, but whatever. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, Salah was unlucky. Obviously, had the offside goal, hit the post. Um, but man, that was a dime to Luis Diaz. Yes, like. 
absolutely to thread the needle like that man he is so good. running full speed is nuts yeah yeah, yeah. so attacking wise uh, I, I don't see any issues obviously a cdm is like midfield is where central midfield is where you guys are really struggling right mm. like to not get the guys that you wanted and to have the exits that you guys have had and that's what kind of exacerbates the problem and so um i'm looking forward to van dyke having a bounce back season um obviously that's my dutch fandom kicking in yeah and wanting to see him do well i want to see cody Gakpo well against do well yeah yeah so i want to see cody Gakpo do well um and so konate looks solid uh so love konate I, th- I i think beyond i will say beyond like the central midfield issues i think still having to depend on trent on the right is a problem like i just don't think anybody on the right side defends which is a as a problem <laughs> yeah salah's not and, gonna really come back and do that much uh they're playing sabo's lie over there um I love his energy. His work rate is great. I thought he ran himself into the ground against Chelsea. And maybe he was really excited to make a huge uh, impression on his debut, especially against a premier opponent like that. But, mm. you know, I, I wasn't really seeing him make a whole bunch of tackles or really cutting things off defensively on that side. And then you have Trent, who half the time isn't even playing on the right side. He's more kind of coming inside, and that's sort of the whole yeah. strategy. So you just can't have yeah. nobody defending on the right side, man. Like, that's, yeah. Like, you need ideally three people to defend on the right side, not not zero. And that's where I'm kind of like, hmm, would they have been better off just like signing a right back and just moving Trent full time into the midfield? Um, yeah, that's fair. And so I think that's another area of concern. But yeah, you guys are going to score a lot of goals. But I think when you guys were at your peak with this, like under Klopp, it was after Van Dyke came and the defense was just incredible, right? Like, yeah. that's the thing. It was like you had this amazing attack. But you had this defense that just like did not concede at all, especially at home. Um, yep. And I think that's the part that needs to come back. And I don't know if I've seen enough to believe that. Well, I mean, even this How whole like, I mean, obviously the the focus is like who they're gonna get at, you know, um, central defensive midfield, and what they they signed this thirty year old Japanese dude. Um, which is 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 nice. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what Endo does. But realistically, that's more of a squad player. I, I can't imagine that he's going to be starting week in week out all the time, and that to mm. not be a problem for Liverpool. My ultimate, I think, is just like, is there something with the system that is like allowing teams to really just run through the team so easily? Because mm. to me, it's just like, yes, you can put a guy in that position, and they absolutely need a guy in that position. I think that um, even last year, Fabinho looked washed to me. I don't know why there was such a sharp drop-off with him. But start of the season, I was so disappointed with him. He just looked so old and creaky and stuff like that. And uh, I thought later on in the year, he recovered and got better as the season went on. But I thought that was an issue that they need to improve last season as well. But like, it's, it just feels like there's something with the system itself where teams are just able to find the gaps so easily. Um, obviously the, it's, you know, probably attacking through the left and, you know, versus the right and, um, you know, uh, Trent not being there is, is an issue, but like, it, I, th- I think it's even more than that. There's just something with the system that does makes it look really unbalanced and really tilted towards offense. Offensively, mm-hmm. I really don't have it, that many concerns. I think they're going to be a threat to score every single game and it's going to make for a really fun watch. I was a little surprised that Darwin didn't get the start, um, in game one. I didn't think Jota did much of anything really um never Yo, if even he would have scored that goal that would have been a banger yeah yeah 
Yeah, and and like I I don't know I I I'm I'm still highly invested in Darwin as Liverpool is. I think well, what did we spend on him like eighty? Uh, but yeah. like realistically, I, I I the attack is nice, but I think defensively, yeah, like the I was noting in the first half, I was like, you know, Liverpool or Liverpool, like I think it was it was one, was it? No, it was one one and a half time and it ended one one. But I was like, even when Liverpool was playing well and they took the lead. I was like, this is not sustainable because Kanate is doing like all the defending. Like he has to cover the entire right side, and he has to like, um, you know, go up and 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 stop any attacks in the middle. And then Van Dyke sort of sitting back and sweeping. It's like that's not sustainable for anybody to do that. As much as like Kanate, mm. he's not going to single handedly carry that. So, I mean, obviously they need to sign somebody as the defensive midfield. I don't know who that is person is at this point with Chelsea having signed both targets that Liverpool really wanted, uh, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. If I, if they get top four, I'm pretty happy. Like, I'm not expecting them to win the league. I just wanted to get back in the Champions League. Um, and there are a fun team to watch. It's just a little bit hard to root for sometimes because it's always stressful because you never know what they can do. It's obviously, Allison is a great keeper. Um, he was obviously man of the match against Chelsea. He made some really great saves. What do you think of Chelsea? I mean... Because obviously, they had like, a horrible season. They were 12th last year, right? But they yeah, looked way no, better I, I than think, 12th plays team let's be real yeah i think looking at the end of last season it's like man there's like definitely enough top end talent it's just can you get someone who's going to give them actual structure and i think potch is actually going to do that right Mm. or he's already doing it and you can see that so i think getting kaiseido and i think having uh that defensive midfielder is going to be big i think um watching that game it was like you could see both teams kind of need the exact same thing yep. um, in the middle of the pitch. And so that was pretty obvious. Uh, and so I think that'll be a big help. Um, it's kind of, kind of crazy that Thiago Silva is still like doing his thing. Bro, he looks um, amazing. <laughs> like, I, I guess Liverpool, I'm like, how is he doing this, man? He's like, how yeah. old is he? He's like 37? Damn. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to double check, man. Like, it's crazy um, that he's still this good. 38. 38. Man. God damn. Wait, yeah, he's going to be 39 boy, like- next month. No, he's Alex he's Wong. <laughs> yeah, 38, boy. Oh, man. Yo, oh, Alex, man. put your headphone back in, man. <laughs> so, so, yeah, when I, when I look at Chelsea, I think um, they are definitely candidates for the top four. I think two to six is going to be super tight. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so coming back to, like, a top four prediction, I think... Man City is going to win the league. <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to uh, stick Even with Even with De Bruyne having a big injury? This is this is the thing, man. They are so deep. They are so deep. Like, But, bro, that's like there's either the best player or the second best player. Like, that's... Th- th- you can't tell me, like, Pep's so good that just not having De Bruyne available for a, a big part of the season is, is, is Look, not going to set them back at all. That game against Burnley, they brought on Laporte... And Guardiola off the bench. <laughs> yeah. In what? basically garbage time. Like, what are we talking about, man? <laughs> like, <laughs> Yo, I, I, it's really impressive how they've just continuously, like, beeped up the defense. Like, it's, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it took some imagination, too, for some of these guys. But, uh, yeah. I, think I mean, I like Arsenal, anybody they start in the back, man. It's crazy. Like, Arsenal have obviously made good additions. <laughs> Um, with Declan Rice and Havertz, and it sucks that Timber got injured. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But I think if they would have got a legit striker, then I think I would have said, oh, okay, City might have something to worry about. But who was that but legit I, striker available out there? Like, they weren't going to sign Harry Kane, let's be honest, right? But like, Yeah, of course. That, that wasn't going to happen. But maybe, maybe Victor Ozzeman, like... If you get it was Napoli just like not him. willing to sell? Like, what was going on? I felt like, weren't you guys yeah. really linked with him too? Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. I, I think they just priced him super high. And, and then, yeah. yeah, it wasn't going to happen. So I think I someone know. like that would have been awesome. Um, but yeah, it is funny that like Harry Kane would have been like an incredible fit. But obviously, I mean, no, Tottenham no. to Arsenal. Was we we would have had happen. to like eliminate Tottenham <laughs> from the entire Premier League. Like, <laughs> like I don't know. I, I guess they yeah. would just automatically get uh, relegated. If they had to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think in terms of like winning the league, I would have believed in Arsenal uh, if they had a legit striker on board. So I think they're still going to be very good. Um, They should be able to push City like they did last season. Mm. Um, And I think they're a lock for the top four, but I don't see them winning the league. Um, Newcastle, I will put in the top four. Yeah. Yeah, they're still there. I think I think they're really good. Um, I didn't even realize they got Harvey Barnes. Um, it's just another, then, you know, the, the the rare white power and pace player, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they exist. And uh, yeah, Harvey Barnes is no. I mean, he, he's a little bit more creative than that too. But yeah, that's a good addition for them for sure. Yeah, and, and you look at their midfield, for example, like it is stacked, right? Like you yeah. got Tonali, you got uh, Bruno Gamarej, um and I'm forgetting a name now. Uh, Joe Linton. Like, yeah, is he still playing in, in midfield? I guess. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and I, so, I just like that I they're think, like a physically strong team, man. Like they're just like it, like it's hard to play against them. Like it's just like I don't know. I guess we don't really speak about physicality. So and their guys at the back football. are huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like they're all like mountains. Um, and so and then Trippier is is just just awesome at, at, at delivering. Yeah passes and all that kind of like the offensive leads there defensive i think he yeah. puts in a good shift too um yeah so newcastle i have in there and then it, it really is a toss-up man between liverpool chelsea man united um so i will you know show my bias and i will pick united but i honestly think yeah. uh it could go anyway no i mean that's that's fair like i i i don't i don't see like a huge change up into the season you know what i mean like i think it's Obviously, Chelsea made and, and signed every player on earth, um, but I, I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that like locks them in. I, I obviously their squad is very talented and on paper. I mean, we'll see how it works, but um, you know, I, 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 de- I definitely think there will be a dangerous opponent. But like, that's that. I think there wasn't like one fundamental change that I feel like completely changes um, the outcome of this season. I'm a, I'm not worried about city in, in terms of just them dropping off, but I, I do wonder like how long can they sustain this level and wh- whatever. I, I think as long as Pep's still there and as long as they keep making good signings, which they have done once again, this off season, uh, like they're going to be fine. But like, just, I don't know. The, the, the point of thing worries me. Um, Arsenal's interesting. I mean, I don't know. Like where is Arsenal supposed to be vulnerable? Like I've, I've watched a lot of their games last season and I'm just like thinking about sort of which way you're supposed to attack them. Like where are their, their gaps and as good of a team as they are, I'm, I'm, I feel like there are still some gaps to attack maybe. And, um, hopefully I think teams figure them out a little bit more. Um, you know, I think that's just what happens. I think last year they definitely did catch a lot of teams by surprise and they overwhelm a lot. Of, and they all, they got out to an amazing start last year. 
Um, but I, I, I do hope that other teams sort of figure them out uh, to some degree, just mm. me being a hater. But um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it's going to be very competitive for sure. Like even Brighton, like didn't they score four in the first game? Like it's like, yeah, they, they might just continue to roll on. They might just sign some random guys from like Argentina and Colombia and they'll just be able to sell them for like a hundred million, um, maybe two summers from now. It's like, it's, you know, they're still a dangerous opponent. I don't know. I mean, Tottenham is a banter club at this point, but uh, you like Tottenham at all? I mean, they they looked pretty good, um, at least uh, from an attacking standpoint. And yeah, yeah, I think they'll... Yeah, they drew, they drew 2-2 against Brentford, right? Yeah, so I think they'll be entertaining to watch. But yeah. like from a goal standpoint, um, like they're going to score, they're going to concede. And so I think they'll be fun to watch from that standpoint. But yeah, I don't, I wouldn't you know, say they're like a contender for the top four or anything like that. Um, mm. You know, conference league, maybe. Wow. <laughs> Who made the loss? Aston, Aston Villa? Yeah. All right. So, but, yeah, so I, think I don't know. The, even though Aston Villa lost 5-1, like, I think they're a better team than that. Like, I think they'll be pretty good. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Uh, Sorry, yeah, keep going. No, like I think they will be like a top eight team again. I think they okay. made some good signings. Right. Like Pau Torres is really good. They got him in the defense. Yep. Um. So, I think that that performance was not a reflection of like what they'll be over the course of the season. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I don't know. Like I'm looking at the depth of this thing, and it's just like you you have to be at least a little bit concerned. Like I think maybe you guys maybe a little bit less so, but. Like, you're not so far... Like, really, the only city on Arsenal are, like, ahead of the pack. Like, the rest of the people... Like, it's just... Yeah. I don't know. The teams are... It's it's just going to be really competitive once again. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so we got to figure out our own the zone situation, though. V. Yeah, um, we're going to have to figure that out. Yeah. I miss Leicester. I will say that. We got to get Leicester back in the prime. You miss Leicester, huh? Yeah. I don't know, man. What I I mean, whatever. It was it was just preseason, but Liverpool had to wipe the floor with them. <laughs> <laughs> they did not look strong, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just an unfortunate situation, right? Like their owners. It is. It like, is. It it's is. they. They're in the travel business, and they got completely decimated, and so they couldn't afford anything. Yeah, that's fair. Who were the promoted teams this year? Luton. Yeah, I think they're going back. Do you down. know? Do you what? what give, give me your give me your scouting report on any of the teams that got promoted. <laughs> you like Burnley being coming back? Yeah, Burnley coming back is fine. I mean, we know how they're gonna. I like play. I, li- I like that at least have a young squad. I, I like that you know there's newer guys to watch. I, mean, I feel like old Burnley was just such a eyesore. No offense. I mean, they got they got results. They were effective, but yeah. Yeah, I I did see that uh, Tim Cruel signed with Luton, um, so he's still going. Mm. Obviously, awesome. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I, I, I meant to be more excited about that. I'm sorry, nah. Tim Cruel is a legend, man. The way he came on yeah. in the 2014 World Cup, uh-huh. saved those penalties. Mm. Obviously, it's not 2014 anymore. But uh, we we're talking about 10 years ago, bro. Yeah, uh, no. Luton's going back down. Sheffield United's going back down. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. you know what? I'm I'm gonna say Everton's going down, man. Yo, Everton's fighting for their life every damn year, man. Yeah, I mean, apologies to Deck Brendale. Uh, obviously, yeah. does amazing work producing the show, but uh, I think your team's gone down. Yeah, see, if this if Derek were producing this episode, this is where he would play the the clip of Gerard slipping, so, <laughs> which he does on the show like all the time. Anytime I say anything about Liverpool, he's just like, oh. 
<laughs> anyway, I don't want to. I don't want to repeat the clip, but uh, yeah, yeah. All right, V. Well, I guess uh, we talked about every sport. Oh, we haven't talked about cricket yet. Yeah, I, I got to tell you just on, on the program. So having seen cricket um, in, in real life now, mm-hmm. I think I might enjoy watching cricket more than I, I like watching baseball. Here we go. Here we go. And he, this is my argument. So obviously I've watched a ton more baseball in my life. I used to be a big baseball fan. I used to be a big Jays fan. Less so nowadays. I just, I don't know. There's just something about it where I just don't care as much. I think it's because it's on every single day. I'm like, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, like if they lose today, they'll win tomorrow. Like it, it'll literally, it just, it feels like it blends together for me. Obviously playoff runs and stuff like that. I'll jump in. Yeah. But I, I, one thing I liked with the cricket too, is just, it feels like there's a lot more like creativity within how the game is played, right? Like in baseball, there is, I would say it's a weird sport to me where it's like it's really limited creativity in the sense that like, I don't get to see like players express their individuality so much mm. i think you can maybe see a little bit more with pitchers but for the most part like batters are just going up there and hitting in the same style well not the same style that's the, again i don't want to be reductive but like generally speaking to a more untrained eye it looks mostly kind of the same um and yeah whether they hit for power whether they whatever swing left or right or you know i guess some people have uppercut swings or whatever but like it, it kind of looks the same for me but like for for cricket there's like such a strategy involved with like every single sort of interaction that happens you can kind of like deflect the ball you can kind of obviously swing for a home run there's certain moments where you don't want to swing there's certain moments you just want to reverse the order or whatever yep um and so when it was explained to me and the fact that you can kind of hit it in every direction yes um it makes like it, i don't know it just the game looks like very distinctly different pitch to pitch which i feel like with baseball it feels like kind of like this like almost steady mechanical flow that is fed to you right um with like exciting moments in between. Whereas I was watching cricket and I was like, okay, maybe it's just cause it was new to me, but all of it kind of felt like, whoa, like, okay, I could see the strategy here. I could see the thinking here between like the batsman and, 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 and the bowler. So yeah. Yeah, man, I, I might be in on cricket, man. I love it. After watching one day of cricket. <laughs> I love it, man. And honestly, like it, it's, Assad flipped me, man. it was, it was great to have the tournament here, but like, yeah, being completely honest with you, if you enjoy that, like, there's higher levels to it as well, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, fair, fair, fair. So I, I think the strategy points you make are huge. Like, I love the strategy in the game, and it changes, like, ball to ball, right? Especially in T20 cricket. Mm, yeah. Um, and so, um, you know, being able to hit 360, being able to, even, even with pitching, right? Like, in baseball, you got to pitch, you know, between... between uh, the waist and the knees and mm. in cricket it's like literally if the ball bounces you can go pretty much up to someone's head and to their toes if it doesn't bounce then it's got to be below the waist but all those elements i think add a lot more variability and make it mm-hmm. fun to watch yeah I, I also just i don't know again as a novice i was just like these little like small slight strategies that like Asada was explaining to me, and I was just like, "What do you mean they use the same ball and they try to bowl on the same side and the, over the course of the game, like mm. the ball gets stripped down?" And I'm like, "What is that? What? <laughs> Imagine basketball's played like that. Like, <laughs> yo, players are gonna start the game, they're gonna dribble the ball extra, and then at the end of the fourth quarter, the ball's gonna be more deflated, and therefore, like, I'm like, what? <laughs> but there's like these like small little things that he just explains to me. And I was like, what? The? Yeah. No, exactly. Uh, right. Like even, even right was, at the beginning, fun, the toss, like getting to bat or bowl first has a, like 
probably more than it should, but it has mm -hmm. an impact on the result of the game. Yeah. And you have to play accordingly. No, that's fair. All right, next summer, um, we got we to gotta organize a, a group meeting. Uh, a group uh, venture to get out there. I know you're already out there. So. No, 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 I'm telling you. I'm not going to sell you, but I, I'm, no, I'm going to sell you on this next summer. Let's go to the let's go watch a World Cup game because oh right because it's me in the states right exactly or yeah it, it's in the states and it's okay. in, it's in the West Indies right right so we can go somewhere there no, and we'll catch a game I'm and we'll have a good time I, I'm down man I'm, look, I'm legit I'm down. I, after one to one game at uh, the CAA Center in, in Brampton, uh, lovely Brampton, I must add. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, I'm sold. I'm sold. Let's let's get Alex on board with this. I think that's the next step. We gotta like steadily make him into a fan of this. You know. Yeah. No, for sure. Because I know he's a big fan of baseball. Already, he ended up going to a lot of baseball games. Yeah. So, you know. We got it. We got it. You like baseball? You you like a sport slightly better than baseball. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe we get him a Toronto Nationals jersey. Yeah, I was that was my one complaint was just I, I wish the jerseys looked a lot better. Um, yeah, just just for gear just for gear purposes for merch purposes, but yeah, alas, you can't you can't have everything right away. So it's a good it's a good cop for Coachella twenty thirty though. Nah, man, this <laughs> guy got to come <laughs> through with the Montreal Tigers or whatever <laughs> kit. A uh, Chris Gale uh, was it? Was it the yeah. Saga? Panthers, I want to say. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I'm also really impressed with like the actual names that came out because Assad was explaining to me, he's like, "Oh, that's Pakistan's number two, playing on like right. Surrey or whatever." I, don't, I was like, "Oh, okay, that's 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 impressive, man." Yeah. So anyway, we've reached the point in the podcast where we've uh, we've done a discussion on pretty much every sport that's happening right now. So, uh, V, I hope you're enjoying your summer. Is, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to? Any messages you want to leave off on? Anything? Um, just usual stuff, man. I, I I'm hoping to do some FIBA World Cup stuff for Sportsnet, and so you can look forward to that. And besides mm. that, uh, you know, it's uh, we're coming up to September here, which means uh, the U.S. Open is coming up. So enjoy some tennis right. along the way. We haven't even talked about tennis yet, but uh, we, we've, we've, we've suddenly <laughs> run out of time two, two hours into the episode. So thanks everyone for listening. Oh, actually, one thing before I want to go. I just want to say a shout out to uh, my teammate Oliver. Um, you know, big news on the way. He knows what that is. But uh, yeah, just, you know, he scored a goal as the keeper last night, which is, uh, which is quite impressive. Wow. I have to say. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, 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 we kind of, I'm not going to lie. We play on like a, a soccer pitch that's like maybe... Like it's like bigger than a basketball court, but it's not that much bigger than a basketball oh, wow. court, which which makes it a little bit easier, I would say, for the keeper to like shoot at the other net. Mm. Uh, but he did get a goal, and he had some pretty good news in his life. So, uh, shouts to him. I know he's a fan of the program as well, Liverpool supporter as well. So, um, you know, expecting. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just expecting more. You know, soccer and, and, and Raptors talk uh, as, as we did on this program. I'm sure he loved this portion. So, thanks everyone for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, and uh, yeah, I'll be back tomorrow, actually, with an episode with Alex and a very special guest, a, a raptor from the past that uh, I will look up who he is and uh, prepare some interview questions because I want to be respectful tomorrow. <laughs>